0: Children's stainless steel sippy cups from green sprouts have been recalled over a lead poisoning hazard. The bottom base of the cup can break off, revealing a dot that contains lead. Some 10,500 of the company's sippy cups and sippin' straw cups were recalled, though no injuries have been reported. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Reader. As conservative governors and legislators have restricted access to medical care for gender dysphoria, some families are rethinking where they want to live. Several states, including Texas and Florida, ban the use of puberty blockers, hormones, and surgery for children under 18 who experience distress because their assigned sex at birth doesn't align with their gender identity. Depending on state rules, parents of transgender children may be reported to state Child Protective Services. Now, some families with transgender children are moving to states that allow such care for their children. The World Health Organization has renamed monkeypox Mpox out of concern that the original name was stigmatizing. Public health experts and LGBTQ activists argue that the name, monkeypox, played into racist stereotypes about Africa and could interfere with public health response efforts. And Emily Schulteis just returned from Latvia, where she reported for Politico magazine on a group of doctors, researchers, and activists who met to explore ways to use abortion pills to
1: get around anti-abortion laws. Well, I think what was so interesting about the meeting and about some of the activists who came there who really tried to, to make their case to these doctors and these researchers is that Essentially, in order for these kinds of networks to operate, you know, operating in terms of getting abortion pills to women in countries where abortion is either restricted or completely blocked, you really do have to depend on an international network. And so it was really interesting to see sort of who from some of these countries, particularly Poland, had ended up in different places in Amsterdam or having contacts based in the UK, who have then via these other countries, via these kind of cross-border connections, really built up the infrastructure needed to actually get the pills to women and people who need them.
0: Right. And so your story is really about these individual nonprofits and organizations that are, you know, often run by doctors who are prescribing women abortion pills, mifepristone and misoprostol. And also a network of pharmacies that fill those prescriptions often. And then it also seems like there are some activists, too, who might send pills independently. Some of the groups that you mentioned have been around since the 1990s. And I'm really curious if things have changed since then or sort of what challenges are new or different.
1: In terms of the existing infrastructure for helping people get access to abortions. The things that that mostly were founded in the 90s were organizations that were focused on providing funding for women to travel to places where abortion was legal. So we were speaking a bit less then about abortion pills and about medical at-home abortions, Uh, at least in the U.S. I think that was approved in the early 2000s. And in other countries around Europe, it was kind of similar, maybe in that first decade of the 2000s. And so what's really shifted, uh, and I would say sort of Turbo shifted in these last couple of years, especially with the pandemic. Is this shift toward medical at-home abortions? And I think you know you've seen this. Like I say, since these pills were first approved in in the U.S. and a lot of other countries, the use has been steadily increasing. At the same time, you know, starting in kind of the mid two thousands, the mid aughts, you saw women on web, which is an organization run by the Dutch doctor Rebecca Gompertz, and she was the first one who sort of started shipping these pills via different pharmacies to women around the world in different countries, and coupled with increasingly strict abortion restrictions in places like Poland, but also obviously in states around the U.S., coming also at the same time uh, as the coronavirus pandemic, which meant that telemedicine was anyway such a bigger thing, you have this huge kind of range of factors that are converging to create uh, market and infrastructure for increased use of, of abortion pills by people in places where it's legal and places where it's not. We'll be right back.
0: You know, in 2021, the FDA allowed health providers to ship abortion pills by mail sort of permanently. There have been a number of groups that have cropped up as a result of that, both in the U.S. and also abroad to meet an increased demand for these medications. But I'm curious, you know, who gets left out, even though we're seeing this increase? And obviously, I think you said in your piece that this is not the same as pre row We have different options than we used to. But I imagine
1: that there are still some women who who get left out. Looking specifically at the U.S., that was one of the interesting things that kind of came up in the course of my conversations with some of the the U.S.-based groups is that you know, most of them are operating in states where abortion is legal, and so an organization like Aid Access, which is the American offshoot of Women on Web, that's the organiz that's sort of the main organization, based on my conversations, that is filling that gap in states where abortion is severely restricted or no longer legal. And you know, then I think you have kind of a lot of the same considerations and the- and the same areas that are not covered, people falling through the cracks as you did before where you know people in rural communities might not have as much access to this information um people who for whatever reason are not kind of plugged into the networks that exist to inform women about their options and i think that's something that the groups whether they are based in states that are that have legal abortion or states that have severely restricted abortion um organizations like plan c for example which provides information about options i think those are the the way that you know, some of these people falling through the cracks, you know, organizations are trying to ensure that there are fewer and fewer of those going forward. Right.
0: And also, you know, the abortion pills are only supposed to be used up to a certain week. So if you have a complication after that or have a need beyond, um, I think it's 13 weeks, Mm -hmm. maybe in the U.S. it's a little different. So then you have those people as well. But Despite that, you know, you have these activist groups and they are trying to get this information out and they are also trying to get this medication out, even though, you know, they are breaking the law in a number of these countries that they operate. And I'm curious, can you talk a bit about the repercussions they face and also what that means for their ability to operate?
1: I think the sort of way that many of these organizations are able to operate at all and are able to exist at all is that they try wherever possible to operate sort of in these legal gray areas. Essentially, in Poland, it is not illegal to take the two pills required for medical abortion. It is illegal to provide those pills. And so, you know, I think like in the U.S., those laws tend to apply nationally, apply to people within the country if you are shipping the pills from outside of the country, there is no one in Poland typically who's providing the pills, and you've received them and you are legally allowed to take them. And so the question then comes, if you are someone, an activist in one of these countries who is caught providing those pills in a place that it's not legal, whether a U.S. state or the whole country of Poland, essentially, then you can face legal repercussions on the national level. And so that's the reason why this idea of cross-border networks and cross-border infrastructures is so crucial to the work that these organizations are doing. People within a country are far more at risk sort of legally and, and financially uh, and at risk of being sent to prison, whereas if you're operating from outside the country, then there's a bit more of this sort of plausible deniability operating in this legal gray zone that allows them to do the work that they do.
0: The activists in your piece want doctors and citizens to push for looser abortion rules in their individual countries. Do you have a sense of whether
1: that's happened or might happen in the future? To the extent that there were tensions at the conference, I think that was one of these moments where you where you started to see that come out. Everyone there was very much in favor of the idea that that pregnant people everywhere in the world should be able to get an abortion safely. But there is this tension kind of within the discussion about this as to whether this is a pill that you sort of can pick up anywhere and do as you will on your own or the extent to which there still needs to be mandated medical supervision involved in that. So interesting. And I wonder, you know, just
0: as we've seen abortion rules tighten in some countries, are there any countries where it's starting to loosen? Are there countries that are thinking about or seeing the proliferation of these medications and maybe questioning sh- their strict rules?
1: Yeah, I think there's um there was one panel at the conference called the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so um, the ugly was the U.S. in the in the wake of the Dobbs decision. The bad was places like Poland, and the good, you know, there were a handful of, of things that came up. In general, just sort of speaking big picture, there was a lot of discussion about decriminalization of abortion in parts of Central and South America, which is a region where women have faced pretty uh, horrific consequences um, for seeking an abortion, or in some cases, even just having a miscarriage unrelated to, um, to seeking an abortion. So that was one area that people were kind of pointing to as a, as a bright spot globally. I spoke with an activist from Malta where abortion has long been heavily restricted. And she was sort of saying that it's just been in these last few years that the discussion is, while not necessarily on the the verge of loosening those restrictions, there is at least a discussion being had about them. And so, you know, in some of these cases, even just the idea, I think she said to me that the fact that you can even say the word abortion already shows that we are changing the way that we talk about these things. Thank you so much
0: for taking time to talk me through this and to explain what is going on globally with abortion.
1: Of course. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And
0: that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Brooke Hayes are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reader. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. Thanks for listening.